Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Psalms 118? Being Father's Day, I was thinking about this story that I'd heard. And uh, it was uh, happened to hap- uh, happen in the nursery or the waiting room at the hospital of where the men were out in that waiting room waiting for their wives to deliver their baby. And there were four men there. And the nurse came, comes in and she addresses one and she says, Congratulations, sir. Uh, your wife just had twins. He said, Man, that's amazing. He said, I work for the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> and a few minutes later, She comes back in, and she addresses the second man in there, and he says, "Uh, congratulations. Said that your wife just had triplets. He said, you know, that that is amazing. He said, I work for the 3M company. (laughs) And then a few minutes later, the uh, lady comes back in, and she says to the guy, says, congratulations, your wife just had quadruplets and she says uh, what he says well uh, that's amazing says that, that my uh, I, I work for the uh, four seasons hotel then about that time they looked over to the uh, side and there was a guy beating his head against the wall <laughs> they said what's wrong with you he said I work for 7-Eleven <laughs> Well, I guess I'd be beating my head as well. (laughs) Psalms 118, for the next six weeks, or, uh, yeah, six weeks, I'm going to be addressing a phrase in the Bible that says, Blessed is the man. It's amazing the number of times it talks about blessed is the man is the man. Now, the word blessed, of course, means happy. And so, what I want to do is share with you, for the next several weeks, secrets to a happy life. Even though that it addresses it as to the man, but it also addresses it to each and every one of us, male and female. And so, here we're going to find of how we can be happy in the Lord. Uh, now, when I say you're happy in the Lord, that is a complete difference of what the world thinks of happiness. See, happiness to the world is what happens in your life. If good things happen, you're happy. If bad things happen... You're sad. But when it comes to the Bible and it talks about happiness, it is really speaking not what is around you, but what's inside you. And there's a major difference in that. And so the Bible begins to remind us in Psalms 111 verse 10, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And then, of course, even in this passage of Scripture, it talks about blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Happy is the man. So what I'd like for us to do is look at that this passage of Scripture this morning and find some secrets that God has placed before us today how we're to be men of happiness, joy in your life. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's infallible and errant Word of God? What did I say? Psalms what? I am sorry. Psalms 112. I don't know why I said 118, but Psalms 112. I'm glad you're looking at the bulletin and not listening to me. (laughs) Psalms 112. Listen to what the Bible says. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Who who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established, and he will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. We're going to stop there for the sake of time, but we're going to look at Psalms 112 today. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for the way that you've already spoken and the way that you are so real in those scriptures that we read. I ask you, dear Lord, for your anointing and for your filling of your Holy Spirit. Help us, dear Lord, to be obedient to not only to be hearers of your word, but to be doers. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, when you say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or when you see in Psalms 112, where it says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Immediately, that word fear comes to our mind. And immediately, we begin to think about the things that frightens us. Shakespeare once said, extreme fear can neither fight nor fly. So, when I think of fear, it is not the same 
wording or it's not, not have the same meaning as Psalms 112 when we talk about fear. I know there's a lot of people today have never witnessed for the cause of Christ. Not because they're bad people. But generally, the rule is because they fear of how that person will respond or react or will ask a question that they may not know. But anyway, that, that thing called fear hinders them from fulfilling the Great Commission in their life. And then I know there's a lot of people today that are not willing to do what God has called them to do or go where God has called them to go simply because out of fear. Fear, possibly, that they cannot fulfill the task that God has given to them. And yet, when we come to this passage of Scripture and we look at Psalms 112, we see a fear that blesses one's life. We see a fear that literally gives them the energy and the commitment to the cause of Christ. Now, being afraid is condemned by the Scripture. But now, the fear that God is talking for us to have concerning the fear of the Lord is to be complimented, is to be commended. So I'm I'm really going to talk to dads today. And I believe with all my heart that God has established the man in the home to give leadership and direction for that home. I believe one of the problems that we have today that we're seeing among many of our young people is simply because the man was not available in that home. That the man has been vacated from the home. And it seems like that's been one of the primary targets of Satan today is to take the man out of the home. But friend, I want to remind you, God has placed the man to be the pastor, the shepherd, the leader of that home. And when that man is not there, it's like a sheep without a shepherd. And they go astray. And so as you begin to study this passage of Scripture about fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Delight is the man who fears the Lord. I remember reading about Frank Lodston that he had in his book, The Fear of God. He said something that I thought was very interesting. He said the church today is plagued by four serious deficiencies. There's a lack of practical knowledge in the area of, number one, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Number two, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Number three, the omniscience of deity. And then number four, the fear of the Lord. What does it mean when it talks about the fear of the Lord? I think there, I don't think that we should quake in our shoes as we come before the Lord. But yet at the same time, I think there should be a holy reverence that we understand that we're not approaching just anyone. But we're approaching the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the mighty God that we serve today. Now, when I look at that, And realize that set of circumstances, yes, there brings fear into my heart. Because I don't want to do anything to upset him. I don't want to do anything to even bring wrath upon my life. And so, yes, there is fear in my heart of not only what God can do, but also what I can do toward God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. He tells us this is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The fear of the Lord. And so, it's not all that I'm fearing of what He will do to me, but it's the fear of what I might do to Him. Reminds me of the teenager. She had gone out with her friends and her friends had uh, were partying and tried to get her to drink a beer. And she would not. Said, why? Are you afraid that your parents will find out and that they will hurt you? She said, no. I'm afraid that my parents will find out and that I will hurt them. And I believe that's exactly the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about. So today, I want us to look at this for a few moments of where the Bible says in Psalms 112 verse 1, the man who fears God delights greatly in his commandments. I want to reverence him. I want to serve him. I want to honor him. I want to glorify him. And if that is to be the case, as a man of the house, I want to represent that in my life. Three things I want to share with you this morning. First of all, as you go back and you look at verse 2, I want you to think about the posterity of a God-fearing man. The posterity of the God-fearing man. I believe one of the blessings of God comes from fearing the Lord. Now, I cannot overemphasize, I cannot overemphasize to parents of how much influence you have upon your children. Good or bad, you are an example. Good or bad, you demonstrate a certain type of character. And so, therefore, I want you to see, first of all, as you look at this scripture, a life that is seen by that, by those children. Those children, they have two eyes and they have two antennas listening and watching. 
And as they're listening and they're watching, you are demonstrating to them a certain type of character. I remember when I was uh, first went into the ministry, I had read this little article, and I want to share it with you today. Something that us for us to remember. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with fear, he learns to be apprehensive. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns to be confident. If a child lives with acceptance, he learns to love. If a child lives with recognition, he learns it's good to have a goal. And if a child lives with honesty, he learns what truth is. I tell you, the Bible goes, I mean, the the scripture teaches us that a person, a man, a woman, a husband, a father, a mother, that they, if they are God-fearing people, that they're going to be teaching their children to be God-fearing children. And so by your example, you are demonstrating of what is to be placed in the life of those children. But I want you to see something else. Not only a, a, a life that is seen by our children, but also a life that is shared by our children. Listen to what the scripture says in verse 2. It says, His descendants will be mighty, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Now think about that just for a moment. What is seen in dad and mom, and what is seen in papa and nana, I want you to understand that your children see that and it begins to grow in their mind and in their heart. So we set the example, do we not? Good or bad? We set the example. I don't think you can imagine the influence that you have, not only your children, but your children's children. And your children's children's children. We set the example. There was a study that was done one time upon two different families. The first family was the Max Jukes family. He had 1,200 descendants. And they said of those descendants, 400 were physically self-wrecked. 310 were professional paupers. 130 convicted criminals, 60 habitual thieves and pickpockets, and 7 murderers. 
And it says, out of the 1,200 descendants, there were only 20 that ever learned a trade in life. And half of them learned it in prison. Now, can you imagine? And they said, you could trace it all the way back to this man by the name of Max Jukes. Well, the same year that Max Jukes was born was another man that was born that later also had a family. His name was Jonathan Edwards. They did a study on Jonathan Edwards' descendants. And Jonathan Edwards was one of the ones that brought the great revival to the United States during his time. And this is what they said about his descendants. They said of his descendants, 14 of them were college presidents. 100 of them were professors at a university. Over 100 of them were pastors and missionaries. Over 100 of them were lawyers and judges. 60 of them were doctors. And this is what they said of the findings of those descendants. It says, in fact, almost in every conspicuous American industry has had as its promoters one or more of the offspring of the Edward stock since the remote ancestor was married to the closing half of the 17th century. Isn't that amazing? Two different individuals. But because of their life, one went one way, one went the other way, and because of that, their family and their children and their children's children followed after them. Dads, where's your children following you? I know we've all seen the example of when the dad comes home, he takes his shoes off, and there comes the little boy, and he puts his little feet in those big shoes and begins to walk. And he trips and he falls, but he continues to try to walk. Trying to walk in the footsteps of the dad. But oh, my friend, I don't know of a better example to remind us here today of the importance of our life. Our children are watching us and our children are experiencing what we share with them. So there's a second thing I think about of the God-fearing man. Not only do I recognize the posterity of the man, but also the prosperity of the God-fearing man. Now, listen to what the Bible says in verse 3. The Bible says in verse 3, Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. In other words, what the Bible talks about is, is that God speaks of prosperity. Now, I think prosperity is more than just uh, financial prosperity. I think there's spiritual prosperity. Now, to the Jew, they took it as financial prosperity. Reading the other day, 
I don't know how these guys can make it, but I was reading in the USA Today of the top ten wealthiest men in the world. And there was, of course, was Bill Gates. And he only made, or he was only worth $75 billion. I can't even count that high, much less imagine somebody making and being worth of $75 billion. And then there was a man by the name of Peter Amidar, Amiar, I believe that's the way his name, who is the founder of eBay, is worth only $8.10 billion. I expect him to go on food stamps pretty soon, don't you? <laughs> but the Bible talks about the worth, the worth of a God fearing man. And so I thought, well, what? Let's think about what money, what money can't provide. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 4. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. For some, money has been the cause of their darkness. Uh, reading an article not too long ago, uh, they were giving a case study of the number of lottery winners. And many of them who had won the jackpot, they are down today dead broke. And miserable. Miserable. Yet for a God-fearing person, There is heaven's light. I think about that. Money can't provide peace, my friend, when you're there in the ICU waiting room. Money can't provide grace during the time that you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It cannot provide that. And yet the Bible reminds us that unto the upright there arises light in the midst of darkness. Money can't do a lot of things. Money can buy you a bed but not sleep. Money can buy you books but not brains. Money can buy you food but not an appetite. Money can buy you finery, but not beauty. Money can buy you a house, but cannot buy you a home. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. Money can buy you luxuries, but it can't buy you culture. Money can buy you amusement, but it can't buy you happiness. Money can buy you religion, but it can't buy you salvation. Money can buy you a passport to go anywhere other than heaven. So my friend, I want you to understand, money can do many things, but my friend, the most important things, many times it cannot do. But oh, there's something about a God-fearing man who is seen and that who has a 
expressed it to his children and to his children's children. That you cannot put the value of money upon. But what can't money produce? Listen to what the Bible says in verse 6 of Psalms 112. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 6 and verse 3 and 9, it talks about His righteousness endures forever. In verse 6, His righteousness will be everlasting remembrance. You know what the psalmist is talking about? The psalmist is talking about that your life will be remembered after you're gone. That it's enduring. That your children and your children's children will remember your life. You have made such an impact upon their life that they're now still experiencing the fruits of that. I remember... A couple years ago, I received a phone call from one of the funeral homes. And um, they asked me if I would conduct this uh, funeral for this gentleman. Immediately, I recognized that he did not have a church home. From time to time, they'll call us and ask us if we'll do that. I always take advantage of that because... It gives me an opportunity to present the gospel. Because many times and most times that those individuals are not in church and they're not believers. So I remember going to the funeral home that night, the day before the funeral. And there were probably only two or three people there. And come to find out they were neighbors of this individual. I go to the funeral the next morning and getting ready to conduct the funeral and there's no one there. Only four people there. Me and the three guys that work for the funeral. I thought, how sad. How sad to live a life of 70 plus years and you don't even have any friends. You don't have any family. You don't have anybody that loves you and respects you enough to come to your own funeral. But a God-fearing man is a man that his family and friends will respect and admire and will want to be like. Friend, as you look at this passage of Scripture, I'm talking about that you can live a life in such a way that you're far more wealthy than even Bill Gates are. The third thing I want you to see. We've talked about the posterity of the man, the way that he is seen and the way he is conducted. We've talked about the prosperity of a God-fearing man. But what about the propensity of a God-fearing man? 
Now, first of all, you'll notice his conduct. And I want you to notice with me in verse 4. There's some very important words in verse 4. Gracious. Now, remember, he's talking about a God-fearing man. He's talking about the type of conduct that he demonstrates. Gracious. Full of compassion. And righteous. Gracious. A God-fearing person tends to show favor and grace to other people. Not condemning, not criticizing, but shows grace. And there that God-fearing man shows favor. Full of compassion. That word of compassion literally means the evidence of graciousness. It's the evidence of that because of God's grace, I become what I become. Because of God's grace, I have been forgiven of my sins. Because of God's grace, He has given me my children and my grandchildren. Full of compassion. And then he goes on, righteousness. Rightly standing for the right things. The principles of godliness. It says in verse 5, a good man deals graciously and lends and he will guide his affairs with discretion. A God-fearing man is a man with a big heart. A God-fearing man who others are literally consumed by his conduct. But not only his conduct, but what about his consecration? Look what the Bible says, verse 7 and 8. His heart is steadfast, trusting in himself. That's not what it says, does it? Trusting in the Lord. The Bible says in verse 8, his heart is established. In other words, the God-fearing man has drawn a line in the sand. He would be like Joshua's of old would say, as far as me and my household, no questions asked. We're going to serve the Lord. Stand. I have drawn a line in the sand. And I'm consecrated to the fact that I'm not going to stamper or waver or move from this very point. Friend, I want to ask you a question today. If you were to die today, could the pastor stand over your casket and to say, 
here is a God-fearing man. I remember hearing a story that there was this uh, funeral and the pastor was up and he was just giving a ray. I mean, he was just giving a great report of how great this guy was. In every manner, he was a good husband, he was a good father, he was a strong worker, he did this and he did that. And about that time, the wife of that man leaned over to her son and says, walk up to that casket and see if that's the same guy that I know. <laughs> oh, my friend. God wants to be, wants men to be genuine. He wants men to be God-fearing men. I leave you with this quote by Thomas Kempis. Listen to this. To be without Jesus is a grievous hell. And to be with Jesus is a sweet paradise. He that finds Jesus finds a good treasure. And he that loses Jesus loses more than the whole world. Most poor is he who lives without Jesus and he is who's most rich who is well with Jesus. Amen? How about it? Now, that's not to say that men that we are perfect, None of us are perfect and our, our children and our wives knows us better than anybody else. I've always said, if you want to know how spiritual you are, go home and ask your family because they'll tell you. It's not how spiritual you are at church. It's how spiritual you are at home that really matters. So I'm not talking about being perfect. But I am talking about God-fearing the Lord in reverence and holiness and in respect. I want to challenge you today. Today would be a great day for fathers to stand up, walk down to this aisle today and letting their children and their Wives see that they're recommitting their life to the Lord and praying that God would give them the ability and the power and the holiness and the boldness to be a God-fearing man. Would you do that today? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the words of the psalmist. And we thank you for the way that you have instructed us as men to be God-fearing men. And Lord, we pray that every single one of us, that as a father, a grandfather, that we'll take that role serious because that there's so much that's in jeopardy. So, Lord, move among us. Lord, there might be some man here today that's never trusted you as Lord and Savior. 
How can they expect their household to be saved if they're not willing to be saved? May they just begin to reach out and begin to come before your presence. Asking you forgiveness and cleansing. Asking you to enter into their heart and their life to become their Lord and their Master. And Lord, all of us as men, we need to grow closer and deeper with you today. May you move among us. Lord, there may be someone here today that you have led to become a part of the fellowship of this church. And it's our prayer that today, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that they will abide and do your will. In Jesus we pray. Amen.